welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. I want to welcome everyone to the marriage night and just say how excited I am to have Dr. Harley here and his wife, Joyce. Uh, You may not know this, but early on in ministry, uh, I just devoured their resources. I bought their books. I went to their website. Uh, as, a, as a young pastor, I started realizing there were so many uh, times that I would counsel with people, and it was about marriage issues. And I just realized, I better get better at this, and uh, who's out there that's an expert? And so I found His Needs, Her Needs. I found Love Busters. I found uh, How to Survive an Affair and different things, and I'd buy these things and have them as resources and give them out. And and uh, just loved, even I'd go to the website and get different things and, and resources and sometimes even go into counseling having just read some of the stuff that he was saying on his uh, website. So when we had the opportunity to bring them in to speak to us for one of our marriage nights, I jumped at the opportunity. Uh, they live here in Minnesota and uh, it's great to have them with us. And I want you to open up your hearts and welcome uh, Dr. Harley and his wife Joyce. Would you welcome them up here? Great to have you guys. Oh, it's so good to be with you. And uh, who are those people? <laughs> yes. I wanted to just give you a little background. Often people wonder about us and how we met and all. And since we have three hours together, I thought we could have some time. The Bill and I met on the beach in Santa Barbara. Need I say more? I was 13, he was going on to 15. He said it was love at first sight. I had to kind of warm up to it. So we we dated on and off throughout our teen years, and then I finally agreed I was in love with him. And at 19, he was 21, we got married. And that was 50 years ago. (laughs) How can that be? Oh, goodness, 50 romantic years ago, and that's our point tonight, learning how to have a romantic relationship. And Bill and I have had a romantic relationship even before we were married, and it has lasted to this day, and it will last till the day we die. Valentine's was just yesterday. I had a card for Bill that said, I still feel safe in your arms. Your smile sets off my alarms. I'm sorry, it's a little personal, but I thought I'd share it with you. <laughs> my, st- my heart still dances with when we kiss. And then here comes the music. The love, your love is, what is it? I don't have my glasses on. This love of ours, how sweet it is. There you go. And that's the song. That's the how song, right? <laughs> but anyhow, I wanted to tell you that I heard a bride uh, call her husband-to-be on the day of the wedding. And her comment to him was, honey, I just want to let you know, you, you make my heart skip a beat and you make my toes curl. And I'm saying that that experience can be yours. And you're going to learn tonight, what is romantic love? How can you attain it? And maybe most important, how can you sustain it? So it's my pleasure to reintroduce my husband, Romantic life with him for 50 years. My one and only, Dr. Bill Harley. Isn't she a sweetheart? A lot of people have always told me that if I was married to your wife, I'd be in love with her for 50 years without her having to do much. And uh, there is an argument for that. I think that uh, she is a real sweetheart. She is the love of my life. I fell in love with her the day I met her and saw her, and I've been in love ever since. She's in love with me, too, in spite of everything that, uh, that I've had to overcome. <laughs> but the basic idea is that I want to you to commun- I want to communicate tonight a very, very important point to you. And that is that a romantic relationship is probably one of the most important things you'll have in life aside from your relationship with the Lord through Jesus Christ. 
uh, with a romantic relationship, your life will run very, very smoothly in spite of all of its ups and downs, in spite of all the crises that you may experience, in spite of financial difficulties, in spite of health problems. If you're able to maintain a romantic relationship in life, you will feel that you have gotten the best of what life has to offer. I'm going to try to sell you on a romantic relationship if you don't already have one. And if you have one, I want to caution you on how fragile it is and how easy it is for you to lose it if you don't make some of the very, very important decisions uh, for each other. So I'm going to give you a course that I'm going to call Romantic Relationship 101. I taught for 10 years. I'm a I was a professor, I taught graduate level, undergraduate level, and I always numbered my courses. So this is a one-hour Romantic Relationship 101 course. Have you ever taken a class in Romantic Relationships? Raise your hand if you've ever taken a course in Romantic Relationships. No. I just said that it's one of the most important experiences you'll ever have in life. And there are no courses on the subject. You don't, you don't hear about it in high school. You don't hear about it in college. You don't even hear about it in graduate school. They don't teach romantic relationships anywhere. And yet, having a romantic relationship is one of the most important experiences you'll ever have in life. And to sustain it will make you feel like you have experienced one of the best things that life has to offer. So I'm going to show you tonight how you can do that, how you can have a romantic relationship. And I want to point out to you that a romantic relationship in marriage isn't difficult. Some people argue that, that marriages are work. I'll tell you what's work is a bad marriage. Bad marriages are lots of work. A good marriage isn't much work at all. The marriage that Joyce and I have with each other is, is pretty simple. Uh, we, we enjoy each other tremendously. We look at each other in the morning and just say how lucky we are to be with each other. It's easy. A romantic relationship is easy. But if you're not in a romantic relationship, you might have to work a little bit to get into it. But once you're there, it'll be a lot less work than if you're not in a romantic relationship right now. So why have a romantic relationship? You know, I've given you a few ideas here. But it's, I became aware of how important it was when I started counseling in the 60s. I was in California, and people were all getting divorced. The pastor of my church that I attended uh, was in the process of a divorce. And he asked me to come in and help him. His wife was having an affair with a choir director. Now this is a Bible-believing, evangelical church where we would go out on Sunday afternoons and pass out, uh, pass out tracts and bring people into an evangelistic service we had Sunday evening. He got a divorce. I, I spent all night with him. He got a divorce. His wife divorced him so that she could be with his choir director. And he lost his position as a minister. His wife married the other man only to, to eventually find him having an affair with another woman. It was an unmitigated disaster and they had three beautiful children. His ministry was ruined and his family was ruined. And I became aware of the fact that it'd be worth my while to figure out how to solve these problems for people. Because this was, a, this was a problem that ruined a person's career to say nothing about the fact that he's a Christian and a person who was leading people to the Lord. And it ruined his ministry. And so I started asking people that were coming to me for counseling, uh, why, why are you getting divorced? I asked his wife, you know, I mean, you've got children. You're, why are you doing this? She says, well, because I love him. I love him. I love Gary. I said, that's not a good enough reason. It's not a good enough reason to wreck your whole life. She says, yeah, but it's my reason. And then I went on to couple after couple after couple. Christian couples getting divorced, having affairs. 
And they all told me the same thing. The one that was leaving was in love with someone else. And I said, yeah, but what about commitment? What about your relationship with the Lord? Don't you understand that, that the Lord hates divorce? Don't you know that? Jesus Christ talks about it himself. Doesn't matter. I'm in love. So I decided one day that I was going to stop fighting the obvious. And that is that if I wanted to help these people, I had to show them how to fall in love with the person they were married to. I had to learn to do that. Now, I'm a psychologist. I'm good at helping people change. This church is into change. I love it. I love it. Change is what we're all about as human beings. We can change. And we can decide to change. We can decide that we don't want to do this anymore and we want to do that. And we can do it. So as a psychologist, with all the training I had, I thought I can teach people how to fall in love. So I did some research, and I studied people that were in love, and I studied people who weren't in love, and I started counseling people in terms of how it all came together, and I came up with a theory. The theory is this, that if you associate someone with enough good feelings, you will eventually fall in love with that person. Now, that's a very simple-minded theory. If, I mean, you know, it's not, it's not anything you would copyright or register, <laughs> you know. But it's something psychologists would agree with. You know, if you associate somebody with your good feelings, you're going to like that person. But I went a step further. I said, if you associate somebody with really fabulous feelings, the best feelings, you're going to fall in love with that person. So I went about trying to figure out how to get people uh, to deposit what I see in my nomenclature. I call it the love bank. Okay? The love bank is something that we have within us that makes us happy. That when, when somebody makes us happy, love units are deposited. When somebody makes us unhappy, love units are withdrawn. And everything you do either makes love bank deposits or withdrawals. Very simple idea. People all agree, yeah, it's probably true. I said, well, look, how could your husband, here's a couple in front of me, how could your husband make the most love bank deposits? What could he do to make you the happiest? And so I did some surveys, and I asked people, what could you do? What can you do to make each other the happiest? And I came up with an approach to saving marriages that said, all you have to do is make massive love bank deposits by doing this and this and this. And I would just ask a wife, what could your husband do that would make you happy? She would tell me what it was. And I would tell the husband, what could your wife do to make you happy? And she would, he would tell me what that was. And my assignment was for them to do those things for each other. And then they would come in, in a week later and they would feel much better. And I would say, see, this really works. And if you keep doing this long enough, three months, three months isn't too long, uh, all of a sudden you will feel passion for each other. You will feel something that you haven't been feeling for years, and you will come to love each other. Well, I have to tell you that the feeling of love is something that can be measured. I actually have a test. You want to take it? Yes. Don't tell your spouse the results. <laughs> Unless, well, don't even. Don't, because I, it gets people into a lot of trouble. As a, as, a, as, a, as a counselor, I need to know whether people are falling in love with each other. But if they tell each other they're not in love, that gets them into all kinds of trouble. Here's some questions that you just might want to think about. Do you, have a, do you usually have a good feeling whenever you think about your spouse? You have a good feeling whenever you think about your spouse. Would you rather be with your spouse than anyone else? Do you enjoy telling your spouse your deepest feelings and most private experiences? Do you feel that there's a chemistry between you and your spouse? Does your spouse bring out the best in you? I have 20 of these in a little test, and people fill them out, and I score them. 
And I can tell if they've told me the truth, I can tell whether they're in love or not. And I can tell if they're not in love. And I can tell if we're making any progress toward love. I can, I can tell whether we're making love bank deposits, if we're moving in the right direction. So it's measurable. Romantic love is created. It's not magic. You're not soulmates. It's created by making love bank deposits. It's, it can be destroyed by losing love bank units. You can do things that are disgraceful, that will hurt your spouse, and lose all the love units that had been deposited. But it can be restored. And it can be sustained indefinitely. I can tell you, as God is my witness, Joyce and I have been in love for 50 years. We can answer all of these questions definitely yes, all of them. There is a chemistry between us. They, we do bring the best out of each other. We'd rather be with each other than anyone else. All of these things are true for Joyce and me. We are in love. And when you breach the romantic love threshold in your love bank, you will feel this, this amazing feeling of being in love. Now, I have to ask you something. Do you know what a romantic relationship is? Would you be able to tell me right now what a romantic relationship is. Well, the, first of all, you would say it has something to, be, something to do with being in love. And I'd say, yeah, that's, that's, that's true. But is there anything else? I mean, if, 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 you, if you're in love with each other, are you in a romantic relationship? I add one more thing. I add one more thing. And that is that you have to be meeting those needs that make massive love bank deposits. You have to be in love and meet those needs for each other. Now, the point of that is this, that if you're, if you're in love, you have been meeting those needs, but if you stop meeting those needs, you won't be in a romantic relationship anymore. And you know what will happen next? You're going to fall out of love. So you can, you can be in love, but if you're not meeting each other's emotional needs... You're not in a romantic relationship, and if you're not in a romantic relationship, it won't take long before you're not in love anymore. Now, what if I can get you to meet each other's important emotional needs? What if I can get you to do that? Will you be in a romantic relationship then? Nope. Because you won't be in love. So there are two things that have to happen before you're in a romantic relationship. You have to be meeting each other's important emotional, need, important emotional needs, which makes these massive love bank deposits. And then you have to be in love at the same time. If you do that, you're in a romantic relationship. Now, I'm not going to have uh, you raise your hand. But I want you to ask yourself, are we in a romantic relationship? Think, think to yourself, am I in a romantic relationship right now? Am I in love with my spouse, and is my spouse meeting my most important emotional needs. Well, let's talk, about, let's talk about emotional needs for a minute. What is an emotional need? An emotional need is a craving for something that when you have it, it makes you feel really good. And when you don't have it, you feel very frustrated. That's what I call an emotional need. I made, up, I made up the concept. If you ever hear people use the term emotional need, they got it from me. <laughs> I was the first one to ever come up. I had a German translator that um, I, go th I went through the German book, and they had emotional need translated emotional want. I said, no, it's not a want, it's a need. And they said, well, we, we in Germany, uh, don't use the term emotional needs. I said, well, we don't use it here in America either. <laughs> this is a new term. I want you to use the word need, not want. This is an emotional need. This is something you have a craving for. This is something you need in order to be happy. So I want you to understand that that's, that's what an emotional need are. Now, the question is, how many emotional needs are there out there? Thousands, thousands. If I were to ask you to make a list of all the things that you crave, the list would be long. 
you'd have a lot of things that you kind of like, peanut butter sandwiches. I kind of like Monday night football. Um, birthday parties. Joyce likes birthday parties. Um, the question is, what makes the most love bank deposits? What gives you the feeling of, wow, that was great. Those are the most important emotional needs. And I come from an engineering background. And I'm male. You come, combine those two things, and the way a male engineer approaches marriage is, what do I have to do that takes the least amount of effort that has the best results. <laughs> and so I'm, th I'm telling couples, I'm telling couples, you don't have to do it all. You don't have to meet all of your spouse's emotional needs. You just have to meet the ones that deposit the most love units. And I've come up with five. But tonight I'm only going to tell you about two. Two for men and two for women. And I, and I came up with this just by asking people, what can your spouse do that would make you the happiest? And I found out that women told me one thing, and men told me something else. And that gave me a clear understanding of why we have problems in marriage. <laughs> because what women want the most isn't necessarily what men want the most, and what men want the most isn't what women want the most. I want to talk to you about four emotional needs. Affection. Affection is the communication of care. Communication of care. When I tell Joyce I love her, what am I really saying? That I have a feeling about her? Nope. I'm, I'm telling her I care about her. I will be there for you when you need me. I will watch your back. If you have a problem, come to me. I'll help you solve it. I want you to be happy, and I want to be the person that contributes to your joy in life. That's affection. It's affection. Hugs, kisses, gifts. Lots of ways to express affection, but what affection is, is the communication. It's the symbolic communication that you care profoundly about your spouse. I call it sometimes intimate affection because it's a little different than affection toward anybody else because intimate affection is you are the most important person in my life. I care more about you than anyone else. When there's a choice to be made between you, the interests of your, yours, and the interests of everybody, anybody else's, your interests come first in my, in, in my life. That's intimate affection. The next is sexual fulfillment. Sexual fulfillment is very important in marriage. There are very few verses in the Bible on what you're supposed to do when you're married. But have you ever heard of Paul's recommendation? He says you should have sex whenever either one of you wants it. Well, who is he, who's he talking about with either one of you? <laughs> now... If, if Mrs. Paul, if he'd had a Mrs. Paul, uh, who would have had a contribution to the epistle, she would have said, you know, um, Paul, I think we should add affection to that. That when, any, when either one of you wants affection, we should not deny the other person. So let's say we don't deny each other sex, but we also don't deny each other affection. And we don't deny each other conversation either. You see, because those are the woman's most important emotional needs. They, they need to be able to talk to their husband intimately. And they need the conversation to reflect his care for her. Uh, conversation and affection. He needs sexual fulfillment. What else does he need? Well, from my surveys, he needs recreational companionship. He needs to have fun. He needs to enjoy himself. He needs to have leisure time, leisure activities. So what I've done is I've looked at these four. Affection, that I've explained. 
sexual fulfillment, which you all understand, <laughs> conversation, which is intimate conversation, the, the con- conversation that has to do with your personal problems, personal issues, and recreational companionship. Now, judging from the fact that most men want sexual fulfillment and recreational companionship and most women want affection and conversation, how would each of them define a romantic evening? Let's talk about... <laughs> let's talk about Valentine's Day. How would a man plan Valentine's Day? Well, one of the things that I have often said is that what... First of all, what a man thinks of, a, of, 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 of romantic experiences He's thinking of what his wife wants, which is affection and conversation. He's not thinking so much about what he wants. So basically, men are often turned off to the concept of romance because it doesn't do much for them. Because they're not thinking of what they need, they're thinking of what she needs. But what would he want? Well, he might enjoy watching Basketball with his wife. Watch the Gophers beat Wisconsin. And have a little sex during halftime. Wouldn't that be a good way to spend the evening? Wouldn't that be romantic? What does she want to do? Well, she wants a little gift and a card. She wants uh, dinner out. She wants to go maybe for a dance. She wants to go for a little walk. She wants to have interesting conversation throughout the evening with many expressions of affection. So what I've done is I've come up with a solution to the romantic love conflict that men have and women. And I've said... When you are on a date, do all four of them. You got to mix them up. You got to basically meet his needs and you got to meet her needs. All right? Why do I say that? Because men want to take shortcuts. (laughs) And women want to take shortcuts. What are the shortcuts? The shortcuts are that we're in bed. Sex is easy. Let's do it. (laughs) That's a shortcut. You basically don't have to be affectionate, or it doesn't have to last very long. You don't have to talk much. Easy. So when the time comes to go to bed, he says, now is the time. Let's do it. That's a shortcut. How does she feel about that? Not good. Not good. Now, do women take shortcuts? Has your wife ever wanted to start talking to you just about the time you're ready to doze off? (laughs) She has a problem that she's been thinking about all day and hasn't really had time to think it through. And she wants you to talk it over with her. And so, you know, you blink, okay. You know, I think we can do that. We can have that conversation. Now, what is it that's bothering you? Well, I don't know how much it's bothering me, but I think it's bothering me somewhat. (laughs) Now, they'll both come up with excuses as to why they can't do that. Now, have you ever found your husband, if if he's kind of dozing off and you say, hey, honey, let's have sex. (laughs) What's he going to do? Is he going to say, I'm just too tired. I have a headache. You see, the basic idea here is that if it's your own emotional need that has to be met, you're eager to have it met, right? And you want your partner to be a part of it. But if it's not one of your emotional needs, you come up with all these excuses. This is why it's extremely important in marriage to mix emotional needs into the same event. So a date in marriage 
which I recommend several times a week. I often ask men, how often would you like to make love? I'd like to make love two or three times a week. Okay, what I'd like to recommend is that you talk to your wife for three hours, and, by that, and, and in that time, be very affectionate with her before you make love. And he says, my goodness, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of time. I don't have enough time for that sort of thing. And I'd say, um, well, maybe you only want to make love once a week. Maybe you have time for once a week. Or maybe you have time for once every two weeks. You know? But from here on out, if you're going to make love, I want you to be affectionate. I want you to talk to her. I want you to give her what she needs as well as what you need. And I want you to engage in some kind of a recreational activity. You know, you know where I came up with all this stuff? Affairs. Affairs. I have, I have seen people having affairs thousands of times. Joyce and I deal with people almost every day that are having affairs. And what are they doing? What are they doing? They're being affectionate. They are talking to each other about their problems. They're putting each other first in their life. They're engaged in their favorite recreational activities and they're making love. They're doing those things that build love bank balances. Why can't a married couple do that? I need a rule to encourage couples to have romantic relationships. I need a rule. And so I've come up with one. I'm great on rules. Pastor knows about some of my rules. I call them policies. And the one I want to talk to you about tonight is called the policy of undivided attention. Policy of undivided attention is give your spouse your undivided attention a minimum of 15 hours each week. 15 hours each week. How many times does it get to make love that way? Okay. Using the time to meet emotional needs of affection, conversation, sexual fulfillment, and recreational companionship. 15 hours a week of undivided attention where you are being affectionate, where you are talking to each other intimately, where you are doing something recreationally that is also intimate. Do you know what an intimate recreational activity is? Joyce and I engage in intimate recreational activities where we are maybe with other people, but we don't see them. We are holding each other's hands. We are talking to each other. There's no one else in our conversational community except the two of us. That's intimate conversation. And, and we do things recreationally that way. We do things recreationally. Okay. Affection, conversation, sexual fulfillment, recreational companionship, all four need to be included in a date. And how many of those dates should you have? We should have 15 hours a week of them. 15 hours a week. Now, a lot of people, when they first hear this, they say, well, um, theoretically, that sounds like a good idea. But in my life, there's no way that it's possible. And so then I have to explain to them. When you were married, before you were married, how many, how many hours did you spend with each other? You spent almost all of your recreational time with each other. Before you were married, you talked to each other every day about your deepest feelings. Before you were married, you were affectionate whenever you were together. You were doing all these things before you were married. And now you're telling me you can't? If you can't do any of these things, you're not going to be in love much longer or in the case that I'm talking to people, they're no longer in love. I'd say the reason you're not in love is because you're not spending 15 hours a week giving each other your undivided attention, meeting your most important emotional needs. The question is, how important is that to you? How important is it to be in love? Now, in a way, it's kind of nice to have a couple who is in crisis. I would rather counsel couples in crisis than couples that are getting along. Because a couple in crisis knows they have to do something to change. And so I give them this assignment, 15 hours of undivided attention. I don't care who you are. You may be the CEO of this big, big oil corporation, that's, that's, uh, and you got meetings, 15 hours of undivided attention, or you're going to have to split your $50 billion estate with your wife. 
okay? You think it's worth 15 hours to avoid sharing the wealth? Oh, I guess so. (laughs) Well, it turns out you've got 168 hours a week to work with. Have you ever thought about that, 168 hours? Being an engineer, of course, those numbers just come right into my mind. Seven days, 24 hours, 168. You got to sleep, so I'll give you that. 112 waking hours. You got to work, I'll give you that. 50 hours. You got to take a shower. Um, You you know, you got to do a few things just to kind of keep yourself social. What does that leave you? Leaves you 50 hours. 50 hours a week that you're awake and you're not working and you're clean. (laughs) Now, out of those 50 hours, I want you to give the person of your dreams, the person that you committed yourself to, 15. How many hours does that leave? 35. Is it a good deal to have the best of what the Lord has to offer us in marriage for 15 hours a week of undivided attention? You betcha it is. It is a big deal to be in love. It's a big deal to meet the emotional needs that your spouse said he or she had when you married, that he or she expected you to meet. When you married, did you expect that, well, I guess we won't be having much affection anymore. I guess we won't be talking much to each other anymore. I guess we'll be so busy raising kids that we'll never have any time to do anything fun together. I guess we won't make love very often. Is that what you expected? Is that what you thought would happen once you got married? When you got married, you assumed that your spouse would continue to be affectionate, would continue to talk to you when you needed to be talking to your spouse. When, when I was counseling, I'd have people coming in. Of course, you're having terrible emotional problems, be in tears. Joyce would get on the phone and call me and take advantage of me. When Joyce was on the phone calling me, the receptionist said, Dr. Harley, your, home, your, 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 your wife's on the phone. I left the counseling office and got into another room and talked to my wife. Nothing came between me and Joyce. Nothing. Then when I'm done talking to her, I get back into the room and help this person who's in tears. The basic idea is she's number one in my life. And, that, and that's why we're in love. That's why we're in love. I'm number one in her life. She's number one in my life. Of course you have, of course you have 15 hours of undivided attention. You have it. It's the question is, are you scheduling it? Okay. How to preserve or restore your romantic relationship. Here is my plan for you. 3.30, Sunday afternoon, I want you to have a date with each other. The date is to schedule your 15 hours of undivided attention. It should only take a half an hour, but let's suppose you haven't spent 20 minutes of undivided attention for a while. You might need to spend a weekend together for the first time to figure out how this schedule is going to turn out. But I want you, 3.30, Sunday afternoon, to sit down together and say, okay, here's our schedule. Where are we going to find 15 hours of undivided attention together? And I want you to find it. Find it with each other. And then I want you to remember what you're supposed to do during those 15 hours. Four things. Affection, conversation, recreational companionship, Sexual fulfillment. Can you do it in a half an hour? If you're really nimble. <laughs> but most, most dates last three or four hours. Most dates last a while. 
The 15 hours is a canvas. It's a canvas, and it's blank. And when, if you're not used to spending 15 hours together, what you'll discover is that you won't know what to do. You'll sit and look at each other and say, uh, this isn't much fun. That's because you don't know how to meet each other's emotional needs. You don't know how to be affectionate. You don't know how to have intimate conversation. You don't know how to make love so that both of you would really look forward to it the next time. You don't know how to be in a recreational activity that you both thoroughly enjoy doing together. You don't know how. And so it means that maybe the first few times you're going to have to spend 20 hours, 30 hours, in order to get it figured out. What are we going to do during this time? Because once you start really enjoying your time together, and it needs to be the most important time of your week, it needs to be more important than anything you do except possibly hearing your pastor here on Sunday morning. The basic idea is that you need to make this time work. It needs to meet each other's emotional needs. And if it meets each other's emotional needs, you will be in love. I had a guy tell me, few years ago, that he had married a woman because he got her pregnant. And he did not find her particularly attractive. He'd never been in love with her. But he had um, read my website, thought some of my ideas were pretty good. So he decided to uh, give, it a give it a shot. And this is one of these examples that I use where I say that in my program, faith is unnecessary. You don't have to believe that it'll work. You have to do what I say. And if you do what I say, it will work. So what he did was he did what I said. I said I wanted him, I wanted his emotional needs to be met by her. And one of the things that I recommended in their case, it, was, it, it might not work for you, but it worked for them, I wanted them to exercise together. Um, he enjoyed riding a motorcycle, I wanted them to do their motorcycle riding together. I wanted, I wanted him to become involved in, her, recrea in his recrea her involved in his recreational activities. And they started spending 15 hours of undivided attention together. He called me up one day from his car. She wasn't in the car. He said, I want to tell you something that I never believed would happen. But I am in love with my wife. For the first time ever, I am crazy about her. I can't stop thinking about her. She just turns me on every time I look at her. She is the most attractive woman I have ever known in the entire world. This is true. This is true. The meeting of emotional needs turns everything around. Um, when you're in love, your spouse is more beautiful the money that your spouse is making is adequate. You find the, each other just being very admiring and very respectful and, and, and so happy that you're together. Isn't it something worth having? Isn't it something worth the effort? Isn't it worth 15 hours a week of undivided attention, which is something you'd expected when you were married it's worth all of those things. Question. How can you be in love with each other? How can you be in love with each other? The answer is to meet each other's most important emotional needs. Remember the engineer in me. I want to know what makes the largest love bank deposits. And I want to do it in a way that isn't going to be painful. Okay? So when I meet Joyce's emotional needs, I don't... I don't want to be suffering. <laughs> I want to enjoy meeting Joyce's emotional needs. And this is one of, my, one of my requirements, is that when you meet each other's emotional needs, it has to be done in an enjoyable way. You can't suffer to meet each other's emotional needs, or you won't be doing it very long. Besides, you'll be withdrawing love units as you're depositing them. One person gets love units, another one takes, that doesn't ever work. You meet each other's intimate emotional needs for intimacy. Question, what's the easiest way? to meet each other's emotional needs for intimacy. What's the easiest way 
to be in love with each other. They work together. If you're in love with your spouse, the 15 hours of I've had more people tell me, you know, you're 15 hours a week, there's a flaw in your 15 hours. What is it? Well, when we fell in love with each other, we wanted to spend 25. The flaw is that 15 hours is nearly enough time for us to be together. We want to be together much more than that. The reason I came up with 15 hours is because 15 hours is something I, I did a study on how many hours people had to be together to fall in love back in my college days. 15 hours is what I came up with. So again, the engineer, 15 hours, why put any more time in on it? Okay. The answer is, of course, if you're really enjoying your time together, it's going to be something you want to, you want to do more often. Here's a question. How can you be in love and meet each other's emotional needs for intimacy? The answer is to schedule at least 15 hours of undivided attention each week. I'm giving everyone here in the group, do they all, do they all know about Draw Close? Do they? Do they know about Draw Close? That they're all getting a copy? You're all getting a free copy of my devotional, Draw Close. Joyce, Joyce and I, Joyce and I wrote this book together, and it is something I'd like you to read every day. I'd like you to wake up in the morning to the Lord and to your spouse. And understand that these two people in your life, Jesus Christ and your spouse, guide you. They guide you. And so you want to begin with prayer. You want to begin to, with discussion with your spouse. And you want, I want to begin with some of the ideas that I have about how to make your marriage great. Draw Close is designed to bring the Lord into your marriage and to make you recognize that he and your spouse are leading you in life as you, as you are and the Lord are leading your spouse in life. There are some other books that, that are for sale. Deep discounts, I might mention. <laughs> His Needs, Her Needs, that the pastor mentioned, is available. It's How to Meet Each Other's Emotional Needs. Love Busters. How to avoid losing all those love units. I mean, all the 15 hours a week of undivided attention is going to do you no good whatsoever if you have a bad temper. If you're disrespectful. If you're dishonest. All the deposits in the world won't compensate for withdrawals. And Love Busters is about how to avoid withdrawals. Five Steps to Romantic Love is a workbook that goes with both of those books. Worksheets, 65 worksheets that you fill out to help guide you to become experts at avoiding love busters and, and meeting each other's emotional needs. And then I have another book out there, His Needs, Her Needs for Parents. His Needs, Her Needs for Parents is a book about the obstacles that parenthood creates in maintaining a romantic relationship. And it's a book about how, as parents, you can be in love with each other. The year that most people get divorced is the first year of marriage, which you might expect. You get together and say, oh, wow, I had no idea. And then they're out the door. But you know what the second most likely year of divorce is? The year of the first child. What a disgrace. What a disaster. It's because they lose their vision of how important a romantic relationship is. When the child comes into their life, they stop meeting each other's emotional needs. So it's a book, if you have young children, you might want to consider it. And then finally, go to my website, marriagebuilders.com. Look at what's there. Start, if you haven't ever seen it before, take the tour. See what's available. And then look at my basic concepts. There's a summary at the top. You can get through it in about five minutes. Just Read the 10 basic concepts that I, that I start out with. We have Q&A columns. I have articles. We have a forum. Thousands of people from all over the world participate in our forum every day. And we have a radio show. 
Joyce and I do a radio show every day, one hour a day, that is streamed on the website. You can get it on your app. I was thinking if I had time, which I don't, I would have all of you get your smartphones out and look up our, web, our app and so that you can listen to our radio show every day on your, on your smartphone. But I just want to tell you, go to the, go to the website, marriagebuilders.com, and the apps are all there. We have them for, for iPhones. We have them for Blackberries. We have them for, for um, Kindle. Kindle. We have it for Android. Android. Just about everything you could possibly have, okay? Well, my wish for all of you and my prayer for all of you is that you have a wonderful marriage. And I want you to be in love with each other. I want you to love each other because that's what the Lord wants you to do. He wants you to love each other. He wants you to care for each other. And he wants you to meet each other's emotional needs. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your love and your guidance and your care. Thank you for the example that you give us in Jesus Christ, your son. We would have not known the importance of some of these things if you hadn't explained them to us. Because we're all so sinful and we're all so degenerate that we look the other way when the obvious is right in front of us. Lord, you've given us guidance. Help us Help us get back on track. Help us stay on the path. Help us to look directly at you so that we don't lose sight of the way we were created and how you want us to live. And I want you to bless all of these people that are here this evening. Guide them. Deal with them directly in their lives. Help them to become servants of yours that you can be proud of and that they can be delighted to be in your will. These things we ask in Jesus' name, amen.